0: For episode four of the Men Creating Change podcast, I'm your host with the most Aaron and with me today I have Chris and today our guest is a fellow student of mine from San Jose State University, feel free to introduce yourself, Dalen Davis, how's everybody doing? What is your major? Where are you from? What do you do with your life?
1: (laughs) My major is industrial technology with a minor in business. I'm originally from Long Beach, California slash Pasadena, California.
0: All right. So today we will be talking about emasculation in a social context. Before we get into that, we're going to talk about current events. So before I get started, does anybody have any positive socially? Does anybody have any positive current events Damn it, I promise you I can word um, that they'd like to go over. I mean, not positive ones. I mean, nothing good happened in the world. Uh, Have you been in this world? <laughs> nothing good happened to anybody this week. Uh, the
1: NSA, uh, Nigerian Student Association just hosted a uh, Jeopardy event. That went really well. Good turnout. Um, a lot of laughs. A lot of good
0: times. Okay. Okay. I, I appreciate that. Give me something good. Cause this world is gloom and doom currently, man. Mosaic, do anything exciting this week? Yeah, we had
2: a program of cultural appropriation on Monday that went really well. Okay. Uh, we had a guest speaker in from out of state. Although she, she, she lived in this area before. Now lives in Minnesota to do to... Uh, the housing cost here, mm. but yeah, that part. Um, identifies as native, started a lot of foundations here, including the Buffalo project, which actually um, specifically works with native men. Okay. Um, and uh, she, we, we asked her to come, um, paid her to come, talk about cultural appropriation and about, you know, um, why it's not okay, what cultural appropriation is, why it's not okay um, and how we can all do better. So that was a good
0: program. Okay. Okay. I appreciate that. And then this week, um, AFAM had their um, Life After Series workshops where we covered Monday, we covered graduate school writing. So writing your personal statements, writing your, uh, working with your writing samples, things of that nature. And then tonight, we have our Life After Series Part Three where we cover financial literacy, the basics. So understanding what a debit is, what a credit is, how your bank accounts work, budgeting, things of that nature. On that same accord, we're going to go ahead and just step back into the real world here. And I would like to let you all know that the Department of African American Studies, well, ethnic studies in general needs your help. Um, we are currently entering the transitional period where we might lose our department chair, and then in the process of losing our department chair, we might be closed down for four months. That means that our major students won't have advising, and the advising that they do have will be limited to the faculty that remain in the suite. The office in the suite will be closed for four months until they find a permanent department chair and the dean's office currently is confident in the idea that that will be enough to keep the department running. And if you feel that that is not enough, please visit the dean's office, ask them about their plan, write them letters, do what is in your heart that does not include you going to jail. That does not include you going to jail to help us fight for our home. Um, I think what might be
2: helpful for me, Aaron, to understand this a little bit is, uh, could you talk just a little bit about why uh, the students, particularly AfM majors, African American studies majors, might be personally affected by this?
0: So, currently, the College of Social Science only has one location for their students to receive advising outside of their major, and that is a location called Access. Um, a lot of you may not be aware, but fall 2018, Access actually had an incident involving one of our students where the student went in to utilize Access as a study space, and an altercation occurred between a student and one of employees that resulted in the AFI major being handcuffed and detained in the hallway. After that, Access no longer did major advising, but it became it came to the attention of the current department chair for African American Studies that Access has been giving bad advice to our majors and also students of color. I myself, included, have taken classes. From access that do not pertain to my major or my GEs because I am a transfer student.
2: And not necessarily maliciously, but they're through misinformed, negligence. They're
0: negligent or and.
2: misinformation, ignorance.
0: A lot of them still have their preconceived and cognitive biases about students of color and their capacity to do the workload required for a major in the College of Social Sciences. So, as a result of the incident, we've had AFAM majors, instead of going to ACCESS, come directly to the department and the department chair to receive their advising. Because the department chair and the faculty have a relationship with material being covered, that they know what classes to take, they know the students personally, which means they know their interests when they appoint them in the direction of classes, not only that fit our curriculum, but pertains to that student's interest. So not only are we catering to the curriculum, but we're catering to the student as well.
2: And and offers opportunities for independent study for things that might not fall within what's published in the course catalog.
0: Correct. You can take an independent study that currently is taught by the department chair where she allows you to go into depth for your research study. So you have a research interest, you tell Dr. Barry what that research interest is, and then she points you in the right direction, which usually results in either a research paper, a community conversation, or some sort of community-oriented event. For my independent study, I created an event called the Black Women's Monologue, which is now handled by the Black Women's Collective. For other independent study events, Uh, We've done a community conversation on the education of the black child in the Silicon Valley. We're currently looking at a documentary, which would be an ethnological approach to understanding black women and their sexualities. The department is putting in work, more work than a lot of students can agree that their department does. And while that's not bashing the department, it should inspire other departments to understand that their majors require an actual education.
2: Well, it's, a, it's also work that other departments aren't, aren't doing, right? Because it may not be in their expertise, may not be in their wheelhouse, may not be what their focus is.
0: But I think that as a department, or least as a department chair of a department, you should understand that your majors will go back into the community. Right. They will cater to the community. Which, which if, we've
2: seen through the independent studies. We have. Yeah.
0: And if your only focus is making sure that they meet the criteria to entertain an industry, then you might not be doing your majors the best service. I remember one of the students taking an independent study because she mired an AFAM with Dr. Barry her senior year. And she received a full fellowship to her master's program based on the 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 research study that she conducted on fear responses and something else. I also forget the young the emerging scholar's name, but she she is currently at her in her master's program with a full fellowship, meaning that she's not paying a dime out of her pocket. Mm-hmm. Mind you, when you go into graduate school you shouldn't have paid for that anyway right But a lot of departments are not oppor- offering opportunities such as these.
2: right It's particularly culturally based or identity based scholarships or fellowships that speak to the identities of the students within the department.
0: Yes, that offer that context right. That, that feeling that you need as a student to understand that you're more than just a statistic. Which, <clears throat> if you will like to understand more about this, feel free to um, reach out to me on a personal basis. I will talk your ear off about it. But it also leads us into our topic of discussion for today, which is emasculation.
2: Before we move on too far, I just want to come back to, you mentioned this before, but I want to end on this note, which is... What are one or two things that a concerned listener might be able to do, practical things?
0: Two practical things. You can visit the department, talk to the faculty, talk to the student assistant and a student intern, try to understand what they're going through, and then the second thing is either go public, so talk to the Spartan Daily, or visit the dean's office and ask any of them what their plan is for the major advising for AFAM students. Let them know that you are concerned. Let them know that you care about your fellow peers and what they're going to go through potentially next semester. Cool. So. Thank you, Aaron. um, Thank you for the time.
1: Aaron, uh, sorry, I forgot just one thing. Um, You asked What good that was happening um, in Mm -hmm. events as well. I just remembered. Uh, Black Women's Collective actually just had hosted a uh, financial literacy event as well. Hey, they out here
0: securing their bag, ain't they? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: That bag is important. Someone's got to. Shit, boy. That's hard out here, okay? (laughs) If somebody teaches you how to manage your money, you gotta go ahead and learn how to manage your money. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Especially since it's one of those things that we. Don't really spend a lot of time in K-12 through 12 education talking about
0: this. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Dewey has this theory called the continuity of experience, where he explains that experience can branch off into two different directions. They branch off to where you learn about experiences that are helpful, and those experiences will then reproduce themselves, allowing you to learn further about yourself and those situations. Or they can branch off negatively, which is what our education has currently our education system has currently transformed into because we're not teaching children, including minority children, about their experiences. However, I would love to talk to this, talk to you about this more, but that is for a podcast coming up <laughs> in November. Okay. So we'll talk about that then. Teaser. <laughs> so emasculation.
1: Right.
0: Emasculation has two definitions both of which we'll be working with for this episode. The first...
2: Do you want me to read it? i got it pulled up right here. Go ahead. All right, so um, the first definition that you wrote here is um, brackets of a man. Um, it says, deprived of his male role or identity. Quote, insecure, emasculated men. Okay. And then the second definition is made weaker or less effective.
0: So we're going to be utilizing both of these definitions during this conversation. So the first one we'll be working with is for men. But I need you all to understand that emasculation is on the basis or well, the practices of power. Power itself is incredibly subjective. Because power is defined by society, individuals, and those who believe that they actually have power control a means of deciding something for themselves and someone else so when we think of masculating a male who has the power to masculate another man so let me
2: clarify or let me get some clarification from you when you say that power is is subjective. You mean access to power, or do you mean perception of power?
0: I mean both. Okay. So, when we think of power, and I don't mean the TV show, although you know there is a TV <laughs> show on Star called Power, that show is hella good. Very <laughs> hella good. I recommend you watch it. You know, shameless, shameless plug aside, when we talk about power, we're talking about people being in positions of power. But when I say subjective, I mean that power is a subject and not an object. Objects you can touch. This microphone that I'm speaking into is an object. I can touch this microphone. Power, on the other hand, is not tangible. It's something that people grapple with or try to understand. CEOs are perceived to have a bunch of power. They decide what a business does. They decide, you know, who is in the business, who's not in the business. They decide what is currently best for the business. Figureheads, presidents, community spokespeople, so on, so forth down this line are subjective examples of power. So in this conversation, oftentimes we see that these people... Are represented by men mm-hmm. Forbes recently however shout out the Forbes recently released a list of female CEOs this disclaimer I personally do not like the word female because it indicates more on the animalistic side than it does on the human side so I prefer to say women however the article itself was entitled you know Forbes. List of innovative leaders, But they use the word female somewhere. Innovative. So that—that is the concept behind that. But when we think of emasculation, yes, I'm reading this for the third time. You you used to. I repeat myself a lot. Um, we we wonder who has the power to emasculate those in power. Who makes? A man feel threatened.
1: Would it be another man?
0: Potentially, yes. But to say that it's another man is only scratching the surface. Yes, men feel threatened around another man. But there's a deeper context to that. What kind of man makes other men feel threatened? Just now we're entering into the realm where people's identities come into effect. So when we think about emasculation, you know, the person in power is often thought of as a middle aged white male. But that conversation is incredibly easy to have. So we are going to bypass the obvious. And dive into a little a dive into a deeper context where we think about minority men of color. So in this conversation, I want you all to keep in mind this concept of a proximity to whiteness. Whiteness being an easy definition to work with the middle-aged white male. Mm-hmm. That is whiteness and encompass the privilege and everything. Mm -hmm. So when we think of minority men of color, of that group that comes to mind, who do we think of as a proximity of whiteness? And what power do they have access to thanks to that proximity? And then who can they emasculate thanks to that proximity and power?
1: Can we can maybe uh, break, it, break it down just a little bit more so I know I'm understanding what you're saying?
0: Well, let's go with the room that we're sitting in currently, okay? Mm-hmm. You, Dalen Davis, mm-hmm. and I, Aaron Booker, are two dark-skinned African-American males. Mm-hmm. Chris is a fair complexioned mm-hmm. East Chinese-American mm-hmm. male. Mm-hmm. So, if you all walk into a room similarly... Just based on our complexions. Who has a closer proximity to whiteness? Chris. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, Chris then would have the power to decide what power Dalen and myself have in that situation. Because society will trust Chris sooner than it will trust me and Dalen. And that's simply based on the proximity to white.
2: So <clears throat> I just wanted to try to clarify a couple points. One,
0: <laughs> don't get old kids. your bones start hurting this shit. <clears throat> um,
2: uh, so I just want to kind of clarify a couple pieces just from my my understanding. One, it sounds like in the context of, of what you're talking about, it is um, we're, we're talking about anti-blackness.
0: On one hand, correct. Yes.
2: Right. So the idea that the darker your skin, the further away from power you get. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. So and and that that that's anti-blackness as a concept and and, and, and a uh, a practice that happens beyond just race. Right. Every correct. race. Every racial group has its own version of anti-blackness.
0: Correct. Because um, every racial group has its own version of the N word.
2: Right. So uh, so we're not necessarily talking about race. Right? Right. We're talking about anti-blackness, right? So, I just want to make it very clear to our listeners, too. We're not talking about racially, like, Asian folks are, are superior to, to black folks or anything like that. We're not talking about lining up races in a, in a line. We're talking specifically about the idea of, like, how much does white folk trust black folk? And then along this line of, like, anti-blackness.
0: I'm appreciative that you actually brought this up because much like vulnerability and how it functions in our podcast, I will redefine vulnerability for our listeners as risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, That definition comes from Dr. Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. We're also talking about how all these social constructs align with one another. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: So we're using anti-blackness as an umbrella. Mm -hmm. Anti-blackness being how the world views blackness in a stigmatic system slash setting. We're now looking at how unilaterally, if we're just going in a straight line, race, sex, gender play into all of these things. So to answer Chris's question... On the one hand, we are, in fact, talking about race, gender, and sexuality. But on the other hand, we are also not talking about these things. Mm -hmm. Because to certain men, these things are not applicable. But to the group of men that we're specifically talking to, these things are. Mm
2: -hmm. The reason why I wanted to bring this up is also because I want to make it very clear to our listeners, and for me, so I understand, that we're not talking about ranking races, and we're not talking about saying gender versus race versus sexuality, which is better, worse, etc. That's not the qualifier.
0: Absolutely not, right. because this podcast does fall in line with Audre Lorde's notion that there is no hierarchy of oppression. Right. And, and then,
2: oh, yeah, sorry.
0: And I need everybody to understand exactly what that means. It means that when we talk about oppression, We do not play the Oppression Olympics. Mm -hmm. We are all equally oppressed in different ways. Mm -hmm. Some of us have it worse than others. Some of us have it better than others. Mm -hmm. But oppression comes for everybody.
2: Mm -hmm. And then I also want to make it very clear, too, that ultimately when we're talking about power in a white supremacist model, white folks have the power. Absolutely. And whatever power you get for being close to white people is power that you're given by white people.
0: Absolutely. And
2: and that through, I imagine I'll swing back around to this too, through processes like emasculation can be taken away as well. Absolutely. Right. So it's not like we're saying because you are X, you're giving power to Y. What we're saying is if you're not white, you don't have power. Pretty much. Whatever power you do have or are perceived to have, is given to you by the white system.
0: And can be taken and away. And then can
2: be taken away.
0: But, on that same accord, I really hate it when I get like deep thoughts and they then and they disappear. <laughs> you, you, y'all know what I mean. I know you do. You be sitting there having <laughs> good conversations with your friends, you be thinking something, when somebody's talking, and then all of a sudden you're like, mm. I just had it. Where'd it go? But, um... When we, when we think about it like that, the way Chris just defined or will illustrated how power can be given and taken away, we also have to remember that a lot of these systems that give us power were not designed for any of us. Last podcast, we talked about incel culture. And I told you how when you Google incel culture, what pops up is white. Adolescents playing computer games,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but that's only because that they, they would rather you believe that that is who partakes in these things, as opposed to acknowledging how people themselves perpetuate these cultures.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's important to realize that emasculation happens both systemically, culturally. Socially, and historically.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You can have a history of emasculating people. You can have a society of emasculating people. You can have a culture built on emasculation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which kind of leads us into our, our questions for this podcast. The first of which being...
2: Who can emasculate?
0: Who... Well, we already answered that.
2: What is to be gained by stripping someone's power?
0: What is to be gained by stripping away someone's power? What do we benefit from from denying someone access to power?
1: In a sense, does it make more power? Or in a like to to be frank, taking someone's power, instilling your power over them, and giving kind of a sense of fear over. Them the rest of the community that may be watching.
0: History has taught us that people would rather rule out of fear than equity. We can note that there have been a metric shit ton. I'm so glad this podcast is marked explicit because (laughs) I'd be having a hard time right now if I couldn't cuss. Mm -hmm. Um, We can can note that there have been Innumerable. That's a massacres. large. That's a large
2: word that means shit ton. I was gonna say that. Uh, <laughs> I like to use the word. <laughs> uh,
0: massacres, based on this idea that some group of people can come and take away another's power, mm-hmm. we've seen it literally all throughout the world.
2: And I. Uh, I would say part of this emasculation too, particularly when we start putting in the social constructs around race and around racism, then, um, is that it distracts folks from where the fight is, right? right? So, one of the things that I've had to come to understand about being Asian, about being Chinese, East Asian specifically... Is that we as a people are weapons in white supremacy, right? So, white folks, and if you're white, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the system. But, no, white.
0: He's talking about you. <laughs> you, talk, you. You perpetuate the system.
2: White folks' system um, <laughs> were challenged and saying, you only care about white folks, you don't care about folks of color. And so they decided, well, we got to pick somebody to care about. And they picked Asian folks, East Asian folks, right? Not Southeast Asian, but East Asian folks specifically. And then we then get get used as tools in white supremacy, right? So then when corporations, for example, are accused of racism, right, then they can point to their one Chinese dude on the board and say, no, we got an Asian dude, we're we're not racist, Mm -hmm. Right. Or if they're accused of access issues, right, not hiring folks of color, not promoting folks of color, then they can hire, you know, an Indian dude or a Japanese dude and say, look, we hire, we hire Asian folks, right, or we promote them, right? We'll make them a manager or whatever. <clears throat> um, when there's a system that they're not happy with, like affirmative action, then they can turn around to the Asian folks and be like, hey, aren't you opposed to this system too? And then now we're fighting the battle. On behalf of white folks. um, Against other folks of color. Right? Same with uh, property taxes. Same with um, immigration laws. Same with all this other shit. That white folks have put into place. To promote racist systems. And in order to defend them. And not have to answer the question of. Is this racist? Use Asian folks to prop it up. Right? So. If you're Asian and you're thinking you're not part of this, oh, boy, are you mistaken? <laughs> right. We we are the tools and weapons of white folks to keep their systems alive.
0: Specifically, he means things like the model minority myth. hmm He means the reparations received after the internment camp incident mm-hmm. for World War II. Mm-hmm. So on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Granted, I know this is going to cause a bout with cognitive dissonance. And so I ask that you seek proper counsel (laughs) or a sociologist of some sort to kind of unpack this Mm -hmm. because whether we want to admit it or not, a lot of us do perpetuate this system. In fact, black men often emasculate black women and other black men without ever actually Mm -hmm. realizing it. For example, when we have conversations... Especially considering the the concept of political correctness. A lot of black men that I know call it political political correctness and excuse the, the, the language to be verbatim. They call it that gay shit. Now, mind you, there is nothing wrong with political correctness. Mm-hmm. However, the idea that somebody has to correct somebody they've grown up with all of their lives is challenging to them because they are unaware of how to conduct that change. And that's why retreats like leadership today or classes are important, but at the same time, people have to make a cognitive effort. When I first met Dalen, Dalen was like myself at a period in my life, subscribed to toxic masculine traits. However, he was receptive to the idea that he could read about people's experiences and then learn from them to help create better realities. I've seen Dalen read a bunch of different books. And so my first question to Dalen becomes, when you think about who you were at 18 and who you are now, are there stark differences between those two people? Or do you feel like you still align with some of the values you had back then?
1: Not at all. The person I was at eighteen was definitely somebody not aware of not not even vastly aware of different privileges I had as just being a man or a black man in general. And uh because I remember even before before I turned before I turned twenty two, I still had like different people bring up like situations of privilege to me or in different senses and yeah, I can say at the time, maybe I wasn't as open to it, but hearing, reading more books, hearing other people's stories and how other people were just viewed by their peers in certain senses opened me up to at least, at least like seeing different perspectives. And I think that in a sense is what even helped me to see different things within myself. Perspectives a great thing to have. Mm-hmm. If you don't get it. You might want to get some. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, because perspective is like a slice of pizza. Go ahead and order Domino's right now. And go ahead, hey, Can I get that uh, three topping for seven ninety nine? Let me get uh, pepperoni, bacon, and a slice of perspective too.
2: I tell you what about perspective though. There's no. It's like unlimited pizza.
1: There's no <laughs> such, it's too much, right? There's, there's always Lim- limitless order. perspective. Right. So yeah. you you don't even have to just get one. Yeah. Get as much as you like.
0: Mm-hmm. What about you, Chris? What do you think about who you were at 18 and oh, who
2: you are now? Well, well, who I was at 18 was not the same person I am now. Um, similar to Daylen, what Dalen was saying, you know, it, it was opening my eyes to different perspectives, you know. Um, and one of the things that came to my mind, too, when you were talking was, Aaron, you mentioned that, you know, you see David reading, you see him expanding his mind about different things different perspectives different viewpoints different theories um one of the things i noticed about daily in this past year and also you know relating to my own story is it's not just reading right it's also expanding your social circle right and like not just knowing women or knowing gender non-binary people but knowing them in the context of wanting to actually learn what their viewpoint is what their experiences are right you know i think sometimes we'll talk about like maybe more hegemonic or stereotypical men. And, like, they'll say, like, yeah, I know a lot of girls. Um, But how many of those girls do you actually talk to without the intention of trying to, like, you know, fuck them? Uh, You know, how many are you actually, like, friends with that you'll listen to that will process emotions and perspectives with you, right? Like, opening yourself up to those experiences is also part of the perspective thing, right? And so that was also, for me... You know, expanding my social circle, getting to know people, not just as objects, or not just as people who served a purpose in my life, but actually people who are friends. Who I can sit down with, who can tell me about their days, their realities, the struggles they go through. And so that I would understand, even though I don't live that life, that I know what it's like to be, you know, a woman, gender non-binary, trans, queer you know, various other identities that I don't necessarily possess.
0: Right. Absolutely. It's it's similar for me, too. Um, it's funny because we were talking about this in class the other day. Um, somebody had brought up the use of the B word and I had told them, like, in high school, when I turned 16 or 17, I just stopped using the word period because it, it didn't fit the situation's That I would find myself in. But I ended up. Substituting the word for another. That's conversation for an entirely. Different day. But when I think about who I was at 18. Who I am now at 25. It's a huge difference. Like I wrote a poem about it the other day. November 22nd. I'll probably recite it to you all. But um. I've grown. A lot. We've all grown a lot. And it's important to to highlight that emasculation primarily is a social construct. It is the idea that somebody can strip you of your power. Your perceived power. Your perceived power right. is not immediate.
2: Mm-hmm. And and wanting to swing one of the reasons why I wanted to bring up the whole Asian thing with like emasculation too, is that. When we talk about men of color, right? I mean, just being very general, we're talking about black men, brown men, Asian men, right? Right. Um, very generally again, there's a lot of intersections there, but very generally, um, for black men, and brown men in in our society, there's a sense of hypersexualization, right? Um, and that um, leads to all sorts of assumptions, problems, behaviors. Um, it leads to people treating black and brown men like. They can't control themselves or they can, you know, are always, you know, focused on one thing, yada, 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 um, all this stuff, right? For Asian men, the experience is a little bit different. Instead of hypersexuality, there's there's a desexualization of Asian men in, in society, right? And it causes men, it causes Asian men to um, perceive patriarchy in a totally different context, but in the same problematic way, right? Which is stuff like nice guy myths, stuff like, you know, chivalry, stuff like, you know, uh, friend zone shit. Like, a lot of that stuff's a lot more prevalent than, like, Asian desexualized men, masculinity, right? Um, different flavor, same problem, right? Um, one of the reasons I want to point this out is because this is, again, an instance of that white male power construct showing its ugly head, right? Because who determined who is hypersexual versus desexual? Right. It is the white male construct, right? When we talk about hypersexualization versus desexualization, we're talking about it in the context of white men, right? White men are normal, black and brown men are hypersexual because they're more sexual than white men, and then Asian men are desexualized because they're not as sexual as white men, right? So it really is you know, the idea that you would be emasculated based off of your sexual prowess, desires, sexualization is, again, a a construct of white supremacy,
0: right? Right. It's, at least as far as constructs go, it's one of those things where people are not allowed to decide for themselves. Mm -hmm. And Audre Lorde, June Jordan, and other writers from the Civil Rights period into now have identified in their writing the importance of self-identification and self determination mean that you yourself are allowed to define yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, I hear you already. <laughs> no, you cannot be a jar manate. I'm. Please, please put some thought into this. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. You want to be that person who's like, "Oh, I can define myself." Hardy, hard, hard. But no, seriously. Value yourself enough to take these things seriously Mm -hmm. and choose for yourself who you want to be. Mm -hmm. How you choose to identify is important. Audrey identified herself as a poet, a lesbian, a warrior, a mother, a healer, and so forth. Mm -hmm. She chose those titles because something in her resonated with them. It's important to understand that it's okay not to know what you resonate with. Mm -hmm. You don't have to figure that out in 30 seconds. You don't have to know that in a year. What's important is that you continuously try to figure out where your power within yourself is. And how you can allow yourself to understand that nobody can take that power from you. Yes, imagination has two definitions. But it's important to understand that both those definitions are incredibly subjective. Mm -hmm. In fact, power, period, can be defined by you. Mm -hmm. You have the power to construct your reality how you see fit. Anybody who vents to me We'll we'll repeat this to you all the time. So I will let you know now. How you feel is valid. How you respond to those feelings is what requires work. How you feel is valid. How you respond to those feelings requires work. Meaning that Your feelings, your voice, your energy is valuable. They are what they are. They do not need to be changed. What can change is how you choose to respond. How you choose to allow yourself to exist. You yourself will constantly change. You yourself are more powerful than you've ever actually imagined.
2: So, I kind of want to ask Dalen, like, you're in the middle of uh, being a student here at San Jose State. You're in the middle of what my what folks might consider, like, transition into whatever happens after your time. Um... How has your growth changed the way you perceive what that future might be?
1: You could say my growth has kind of made me, as I guess classically a lot of people say, realized I don't know a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of made me seek out to wanting to know more. And also opened me up to different avenues, even just within myself, um, I was hearing someone uh, from a meeting I recently just came from talk about how they moved completely from from I think it was either Nebraska all the way to California mm. just on a whim
2: mm.
1: and because they believed in something they were they felt they were supposed to do and from hearing that story it kind of like opened me to just taking a bet on myself if I felt strongly enough about it I wouldn't necessarily feel that way had I not just been open-minded to that factor of maybe opportunity doesn't have to be right here where I'm comfortable maybe it can be where I'm a little less comfortable and maybe that can help me grow more Mm -hmm. and so in a sense I feel like to anybody who's in a transitional phase you need to get used to discomfort, mm. and you need to be open to that fact because being where you think is comfortable is usually something you've already done or something you're used to, but you're never going to find something else or maybe hold on to a greater meaning until you've reached outside of that in yeah. a sense
2: That's cool, thank you
0: that story kind of paints the picture we've been painting for the last four episodes that means that your growth requires you to be vulnerable
2: mm-hmm.
0: this is a concept that i know several pieces of people personally hate <laughs> they hate the idea that something exists outside of their control mm-hmm. and they have no say in it
2: yeah
0: but the person from nebraska went out on the limb and moved out here hmm People have applied to schools in the middle of nowhere, Mm -hmm. moved out there, and established the most important parts of themselves. Yeah. Adventure hinges on the idea that you're willing to be vulnerable in the great big world, but also kind of hinges on fantasy as well. Mm -hmm. That's equally as important, Mm -hmm. but you have to be willing to step into that uncertainty Mm-hmm. but emastulation lies on the other side of certainty.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You have to be certain that you can, in fact, strip somebody of their power. So how do you counter emastulation? You have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. If somebody is certain that they can strip you of your power, you have to be willing to risk and be uncertain within yourself. That your power does not lie in a context that they can take it from you. They may make your life difficult. They may make your life hard. If they induce too much stress, please prioritize yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't stick it out because you think you're. It, it has nothing to do with you being strong or not. If somebody's making your life incredibly difficult and you're overtly stressed and it's affecting your health at this point, prioritize yourself. That in and of itself is a powerful action. Mm-hmm. But when we think about emasculation, there is vulnerability and certainty that lies there. Certainty is power. Vulnerability is power. But which one do you want to be more vulnerable? So as we begin to wind down, um, I think that we're going to speak briefly on things that we can do at least as an individual, to change the perception or change our perceptions or at least challenge them when it comes to the power we have in our daily lives and the power that we give to one another and other objects. That's why I let my co-host and my guests think about that um, I would like to inform you all that for November, we do have guests lined up for both podcast episodes. December, the first episode will be Superheroes and toxic of Masculinity. So please be prepared for Chris to be super excited about that. <laughs> I'm going to be equally excited about it. <laughs> Um, and then the second episode in December will be right after finals, so it'll be a debrief episode I will tell you about the semester, we'll talk about you know self-care practices, things like that, and then we'll start back up at the end of January slash early February for our Black History Month mm-hmm. episodes, and we'll go from there. If you have not already um, submitted your poem from last week's assignment feel free to still submit those. Um, There's a link in the description Mm -hmm. and I will be reading those on November 22nd. So if you have something that you would like to say or something that's on your heart and you want to write it down and you want somebody else to voice it, I got you. Mm -hmm. As far as those people going through midterms right now, please keep your head up, but also give yourself a break. You've been working really hard. You've been going through a lot. You got this. Make sure you take care of yourself. To um, the Department of African American Studies, because you all been going through it together. Yeah. I thank you all for being as strong and empowering and a family. Yeah. Because it takes a family to get through times like these. Um, a special shout out to Leslie Corona because although she only helps out twice a week, she is a pleasure to have in the office. I enjoy spending four hours each day with you whenever you're there. Dr. Barry, thank you for all the opportunities that you're presenting me with. Dr. Taiwo, thank you for mentoring me and adopting me at the same time. Dr. Gaines, thank you for letting me bother you with my personal statements and my writing samples. Dr. Kari Francique, thank you for joining our family and being more than willing to work with us. Dr. Ortega, thank you for just being who you are and being the advisor for unity in the community our lecture family who are not on campus but do online classes you all are phenomenal and much appreciated i think i have stalled long enough for my co-host and my guests <laughs> to answer to the questions but definitely thank yeah. you to everyone thus far including including mosaic cross-cultural center gender equity center um the black student success center El Centro, and more who have made it possible for us to come together in spaces like these, whether they realize that we're all interconnected or not. So we're going to start with Chris. Yeah, Um,
2: I, I think it's important to understand that, like Aaron said, the power that you perceive to lose through emasculation is not real like and the reason why i say it that way is because the other context that we hear emasculation sometimes is as an excuse or justification for an act of violence right a person most likely a male will say that this other person most likely a woman uh is emasculating me in some way and so as a result i had to hit her I had to beat her. I had to put her down. I had to do whatever. Um, that's not how emasculation works, um, and using the the idea of losing power in that context doesn't justify any sort of violence. It only um, it only shines a light on how. Uh, uh, violence begets violence and how violence doesn't solve anything. Um, And using it as an excuse for violence um, is really not okay, you know. So, you know, part of what I want to say about emasculation is that um, much like this idea of people who are willing to get into fights over pride or, or get into physical violence over you know, um, perceived slights of, um, social status, um, emasculation is kind of the same thing, which is that
1: it's not worth fighting about. So, I mean, pretty much from, from what we've gathered from this conversation of emasculating emasculating someone or anybody, in the sense of kind of like how Chris was saying, yeah, I would just say don't make... Don't let that be an excuse. Let it be the challenge for you to maybe even step outside of yourself. Because if, if we're saying, you know, that masculinity, like, you know, it's, it's, it's like you said, subjective. It's what you're, like, perceiving the power that you, like, think you have or you're losing. When in reality, like, you know, you make your own power out of some type of need, Whatever that need may be, you created that need. You stem this power from your own self. Use your power, not in, the, not in the sense of trying to take it from somebody or when you're not willing to go to certain lengths maybe for somebody in, in terms of your understanding. Just use the power you're given in a way that's productive. And progress from there.
0: Both of them I mentioned something that's important to recognize this month. October is Domestic Violence, slash Intimate Partner Abuse Month. Awareness month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awareness month. I, I got the A right. I'm tr- I'm still working on it. Both. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm still working on it. I ain't perfect. But it's important to realize that one part of domestic violence is power. Mm-hmm. The other part is a pattern. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: In order to break that cycle that creates a pattern, you become aware of it. And I would love to tell you that this episode's homework assignment is to become aware of the patterns that you perpetuate. But that's not the whole assignment. This homework assignment is for you all to ask yourself the question... What is it that you believe in strongly and what is it that you do not firmly understand but yet you claim to believe in?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I want you to make a list and then I want you to look at that list and ask why on both sides. After that, I want you to go back to the first part. What cycles do you perpetuate? And from there, you can do more self-improvement work. Any announcements or anything of that nature? Uh,
1: not so far.
0: No. Yeah. All right. So that's our last guest, Dalen. Tell the people what you got going on with them. Are you writing the book? Are you <laughs> doing a showcase? Like what? What's, what's what's going on in Dalen Davis's world?
1: Dalen Davis's world is consisting of mainly school projects. Um, I'm designing a uh, low pass filter for most people who don't know what that is, basically I'm making a device that takes in low low frequencies and rejects higher frequencies. Tech
0: 19169. It's pretty dope. Um so one announcement I will make is the Black Women's Monologue is coming up soon. I will have the information for that in our next episode. So if you want to partake in that or anything like that, please let me know. I will forward you to the right person so that way you can, in fact, partake. Um, and then November 14th is a special day for myself because that is the date for my capstone. I will be hosting a community conversation on behalf of the African American Studies Department on Black Love. So, if you want to come out and see the face behind the voice, uh, we'll be in MOK Library 225 from 6 to 8. We will have a total of six people on our panel one couple who has been together for 10 years, one married couple, and then one married same sex couple. Mm-hmm. Black women's monologues. Um, I don't know
2: anything about the submissions. That's all Asia. But I do know it is happening December 3rd, 7 p.m. at the Student Union Theater at San Jose State.
0: December 3rd, 7 p.m., San Jose State. Next episode, we will have a link in the description so that you all can sign up. Here is the caveat. You have to be a black woman to perform. But everybody is welcome to come and sit in the audience.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and having attended the
2: last day, I say, it is powerful. It is truly, truly powerful.
0: But that being said, um, November eighteenth is the projected date for my book. But <laughs> odds are, we're shooting into December. So you know now. Don't hold me accountable for nothing. Um. My name is Aaron Booker. Chris Kane? Dylan Davis. And this has been the Men Creating Change podcast. Please remember to take care of yourself. You are important. And you are more powerful than you've ever imagined.